0: Here at Mercy Village Church, we are on a mission with Jesus to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. There are eight distinctive evidences we believe we will see if we are truly on that mission. We are a peculiar people, and these are the shaping characteristics of Mercy Village Church. When my wife and I were married, we took a honeymoon. Most people do that. We went to Hawaii. Her mom had she gave it a big chunk of money. She's a hopelessly romantic person. Uh, so she, instead of helping plan the wedding, just said, here's some money. And you guys plan the wedding, but here's my contribution. So we did the math, and we're like, if we save some money on the wedding, we can go big on the honeymoon. So we did, and uh, we went to Hawaii. And when we got to Maui, which is the first island we visited, we're staying at this really nice resort, and we get there, and we waited for two hours before we were able to get into our room which didn't feel like, it felt like a long time, but it didn't feel quite like two hours because you're in this lush resort, right? Like you're right on the ocean, it's beautiful. But eventually they tell us they need to speak with us. So we go to the front desk and there's a couple in front of us that hears the same story we're about to hear that the room that we've reserved, this ocean view room is, is under renovation somehow. Makes me think of Seinfeld when he does the car rental, right? And uh, he goes to get the car and they're like, we don't have the car. And he's like, what? You don't have the car? I thought the reservation holds the car. She goes, we have your reservation. He goes, I don't think you know what reservation means, right? Anybody can take reservations. It's the holding that really matters, right? You got to hold the reservation. So they didn't hold our reservations, our rooms under renovations. We're not going to be able to stay in this oceanfront room, our ocean view room. So the couple in front of us is just Completely done, they leave, but they offered them the same thing they offered us. They said, we got a place across the street. You can't see the ocean from there, but it's incredibly nice. You come check it out, we'll comp that to you at no extra cost. We'll still include the breakfast thing as a part of your deal. So we take them up on it. What better do we have to do? And they drive us across, and it's a townhouse with a garage, with a kitchen with marble everything, Right? Three bedrooms, California king size bed in the master suite, this tub that is endless, water falls out of the ceiling, right? It's a head about this big and a shower that you just walk in, tile, and there's this private pool out back behind it that's private for like the six or seven townhouses that were right there. We got home, we looked it up, $1,300 a night on a weekday, right? It was awesome. You've seen Dumb and Dumber, right, where they jump on the bed and they're like, we'll take it, right? Like that was us, right? exactly where we were at. I say that to say this. We had no business being there. We didn't belong there. But yet we were there. Maybe you've had that experience before where you didn't belong somewhere, but you were there. And, and my point today, and this is good news, is that as Christians, you do not belong, apart from Jesus, in the presence of God. None of us belong in the presence of God but we've been welcomed into the presence of God by Jesus. That's a big deal, right? Like, I think sometimes that's like so beyond what our brains can fathom that we kind of don't even try to really grasp it. We may be intellectually assent to that reality, but we don't seek to truly hold to it, cling to it, fathom it. It matters today because it changes what we're about to see, this this what could be a difficult, paranoid chore of welcoming others into our lives, right? We could see it as, oh, that's hard. I don't want to do that. And, but we're paranoid. I got to do it because it's what's going to make God happy. So, okay, I'll just grit it out and do it. It takes it from something like that to a joyful, sometimes even uh, risky overflow from our hearts because we recognize that our story is one of sitting somewhere that we don't belong By the grace of Jesus. You do not. I do not deserve a seat at the table. God is perfect in every way. Without blemish. Without spot. He's holy. He's good. Heaven is perfect. His presence is perfect. And yet he wants to call you sons and daughters. And through Jesus he welcomes you into his presence. We start there. You have to. Everything that comes after that is either going to be an outflow of joy, if you grasp that, or it'll just be some chore that you think you have to perform if you don't. You are welcomed into the presence of God. We move into week five this week of our series, Peculiar People, Eight Formative Characteristics, the people of Mercy Village Church. As we live on mission, this is what it, we believe it'll look like. Some of the evidences we'll see. You can see the list of the four that have come Before, today we move to welcoming others. This is how we state it in our uh, prospectus. We will be marked by sweet and generous welcoming of both sinners and saints in our gatherings and in our homes. We want welcoming others to be a part of our DNA, just to come naturally for us that we do that. So we will do so corporately and in groups, will exemplify and instill as leaders the value of opening our doors to the rich and poor alike, to the famous and forgotten, the successful and the marginalized, the cleaned up and the cast off, and anyone and everyone God calls us to. It is our confident prayer that this will spill over into the entire body of Mercy Village Church as we are welcoming all kinds of people into our homes and into our lives. That sounds pretty standard, right? Like a church should kind of desire that, but when you put skin on it, it's not an easy calling. It just isn't, which is why we must be rooted in who we are as the people of God, people invited into a place we don't belong as the family of God through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Today, what I want us to see, what I believe we need to see is that we are welcomed into the presence of God because of Jesus. And this is both the example and the empowerment of our call to welcome everyone and anyone into our presence. Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 13 and 21st because what I want you to see first is the is the general call. What the Apostle Paul is going to say, what God's going to say through the Apostle Paul, is that one mark of the true Christian is this, welcome everyone. That's what the true Christian does. The true Christian welcomes everyone, the saints and the aints, welcomed into the people of God. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So we looked at this last week more in depth, that we are called to welcome the saints into our homes, into communities. We care for one another. We love one another. We share life with one another. We extend hospitality to each other. But verse 20 paints a picture that's a little bit more difficult. He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. We'll come back to that in a second. But the idea is that our welcoming spirit is not just reserved for our fellow Christians. It's for anyone and everyone, even our enemies. So that's what we tackle today. Now, what we'll see here applies to the way we welcome the saints. Well, the way we welcome one another it also applies to the way we welcome those who are at the margins, those who are our our enemies, so to kind of get into that place right like what like what I would love for you to do is in your mind to think of someone on the margins or several people that you know on the margins, people maybe in your life that you encounter who you know are lost and far from God, or you're not sure if they would are a Christian, people that are difficult to to move towards and participate. Get get some faces, some names, some people in your mind. And this is our call to those people. And buckle up, because Paul shows us what welcoming looks like. And he starts in verse 14, and it gets topsy-turvy real quick. He says in verse 14, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. The idea here is to shine light on somebody's good side. As a photographer, something I've learned over the years is that some people have a good side, right? Or they think it's their good side, okay? Most, most clients either think they're better looking than they are, or in most cases, they have no idea how photogenic they are, right? And they just, like, think it's terrible. I'm like, we're doing fine. It's going to be okay, really. You're not going to break my camera. It's okay. But they'll have a preferred side. And my job is to make sure that most of the pictures I take are, you know, highlighting that preferred side. But what Paul says here is shine honor and blessing, shine the light on people's good side, even when they've showed you their bad side. Even when someone has shown you how ugly their bad side can be, you bless them by shining the light on their good side. Not easy. That's topsy-turvy. And he took this from Jesus. Jesus is the king of topsy-turvy. Matthew five forty three and 44. He says, you've heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's the message of the world. We might That might not be said explicitly by the world. That's how we live. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But he says, verse 44, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, topsy-turvy. We might as well get this point out of the way early because all that follows in this passage is topsy-turvy. It turns everything on its head. Jesus is the master of otherworldly. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter 6 and you start in verse 32, he says... If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Now, don't miss here. He's not saying that we shouldn't love those who love us. He's not like advocating some... That's a good thing. Love those who love you, that's good. It's a noble thing. But it's not like mind-blowing to the world when you love those who love you. It's pretty normal to love those who... Love you. Maybe you have people in your life who you've loved who don't love you back, and you're like, I don't know, right? For the most part, it's pretty normal to love those who love you. Even sinners love those who love them. Verse thirty three And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same, and and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you, for even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount? He says, But love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High and for He is kind to the ungrateful. Right here, read yourself into that story. Do you think that your gratitude towards God is equal to what He deserves? Give me a break, right? None of us are as grateful towards God as He deserves us to be. But yet He's kind to the ungrateful. Not only that, He's kind to the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It's topsy-turvy. This whole thing is topsy-turvy. He continues, right? Like like this is the call to welcoming others is a topsy-turvy call. It's it's other than the world. It's, It's not natural. It's supernatural. He continues in verse... For, uh, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. To welcome others means that you feel what others feel. This is topsy-turvy if you think about it, right? I mean, you, we live in a world that says to live your truth, right? Like that's so, that's you should live your truth. Your emotional state and your emotional posture is self-determined. Okay, and I get there's some goodness, there's, there is actually some goodness underneath those things in there, right, of being people of fortitude, people who can stay calm and steady even when chaos surrounds us. Or being, knowing who you are in Christ and living that out, right, those are, but what Paul is saying is your emo- emotional posture towards others is about walking a mile in their shoes. Coming to understand where they are. It means you can't fear emotions, by the way. It's tough for some of us, right? Those gritty ones. We'd rather not explore our own emotions, let alone other people's emotions. Work on that. By God's good grace, there's patience. And, but, but we have to be willing to enter into the emotions of others if we're going to weep with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh. He continues in verse 16 saying, move towards the margins. That's not normal. Live in harmony with one another, he says. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And there's three kind of truths that he does to support that one, which is move towards the lowly. You should associate yourself with the lowly, but he sets it up. He says, first live in harmony, you know about harmony, which if you've heard me sing, I know very little about harmony in practice, but I intellectually understand it, right? To sing well in harmony, that you have to care about the tone of everybody else around you. You have to listen. You have to uh, appreciate and understand the highs and the lows and every tone in between to enter into singing in harmony. That's the call for the child of God, to, to not just know what your song is, not just be able to hit your notes, but to hit your notes in such a way that it makes everybody else around you sound good as well. Don't be haughty, he says. A position above another. That's the idea of haughty, like to take a position that's above everyone else. True hospitality, true welcoming of, of others isn't seeking to increase social status. You can't practice true hospitality as a way of increasing your social status. Don't desire the high things, is kind of what Paul's saying. Right, like if you want to be number one, if you want to be the top dog, if you want to move up the corporate ladder or move up in social standing, hospitality is going to be difficult by the book. Martha Stewart kind of hospitality, that can bring you to the top of the... But true hospitality, welcoming those everyone and anyone. That's, that's tough. Don't be wise in your own sight, he says. If you've noticed this, by the way, and I'm guilty of this myself, the, the people who, who talk like they've got it all figured out, they're usually the ones that don't. You notice that in life, It's just kind of how it, it works. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Instead, get wisdom from God. And all of that is supporting that idea that we would be people who move towards those of low low social standing, people who are hopeless, people who are downcast, and we associate ourselves with them. We don't just write a check, although that is good, do that, but we associate ourselves with them. I'm going to go full Dave Ramsey here. This is the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, pride is dumb, harmony is king, and hanging out with the marginalized has replaced... Hanging out with the in crowd as the status symbol of choice. in the kingdom of God moving towards the marginalized is the status symbol of choice. That's what the kingdom people look like. That's topsy-turvy. Verse 17, he says, make honor the default. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. He starts with a negative command. He says, don't do evil things in response to evil things. Again, he's talking about our enemies here. He just talked about the marginalized. There's a little bit of a difference, right? Like the marginalized might be people that we're apathetic to or we even pull back from, but they're not necessarily against us. They're kind of at the margins, at the fringes of our life. We see them, maybe like the Pharisee, we cross over the road and, and keep going on the other side. But but they're not necessarily our enemies. He's talking about people who are against you as well. Not just the marginalized, but people who come against you. Uh, don't curse them, he said in verse 14. Now he says don't retaliate. Alright, don't bite back. Someone does something evil to you? Man. I, driving home from, driving home from Maine, if you've ever driven through Massachusetts, okay? I bit back. I bit back. So I'm not like saying, pointing fingers at everybody else, saying, you just start living like me. No, live like Jesus. He's the hero. I'm not the hero. Not even close. I retaliate. But that's wrong. That's not in line with what God's calling us to. Don't retaliate. And he doesn't just say avoid the negative thing, but he says give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So it's beyond just like refusing to retaliate. He's saying, honor others. Here's the idea, right? Like it goes without saying or it should that we don't do good for others by their definition, we do good for others by God's definition. But believe it or not, and this is true. There are ways in which even your enemies believe this way of behaving, this way of acting is good. Just like God believes it is, right? Like shaking hands. Have you ever seen that video at the end of that basketball game? They're like walking and they're going to shake hands with each other. And that one guy just hauls off and sucker punches that guy in the stomach. That's that's sin, okay? That's wrong, right? You don't have to be a Christian to know that, to understand that, right? You show up, you shake hands, you walk through. There are things in this life that it's agreed upon by the vast majority of society that these are good things. Treat people that way. Act that way, even if they are your enemies. Verse 18, exhaust all options for peace. This is a tough one, too. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Jesus will say in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. We're to be people who bring, the Hebrew word is shalom, right? It's peace, not just absence of chaos, but deep peace peace inside of our hearts and souls, that 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 shalom is brought to bear by the people of God. When we're being peacemakers, the people in our lives, you know, peace is brought and is impacting all the people around you. But don't miss the caveat. Paul's not an idiot. He says, if possible, as much as it depends on you. Not going to fix every relationship. You're not going to bring peace into every situation. But here's the the thing, right? If you live by this book, you hold fast to the gospel. There's already going to be tension. Try being William Wilberforce, uh, the uh, abolitionist from Great Britain, England area, speaking out against slavery, and holding up this book as the reason why. It didn't make him popular. It didn't give him success. We might talk about him now as a as a great man, but nobody was talking about him then as a great man. There was already enough tension. Hear me, you hold up this book and say, uh, all humanity bears the image of God from conception to death. And then you move towards the immigrant. Not everybody's going to be friends with you. That's not where you thought I was going, was it? The other one's true too. You move to protect the unborn, people you will you'll be tensioned. Tension enough just by opening the book and living by it, proclaiming the gospel. What he's saying is don't be a jerk about it. Like it doesn't need to be an unnecessary level of tension. As much that lies within you, carry this book gently and lowly. As much that lies within you, live out this book gentle and lowly. You don't need to carry a a sign most of the time. You don't. You don't need a Westboro Baptist Church. That's sin, right? Like, you know, you know, those people. Don't create any unnecessary tension. Live peaceable lives. Hold fast to the word of God. Hold fast to the gospel. Peacefully. And then trust the outcomes to God. Verse 19, beloved Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You live this way, you're going to be wronged. You will. And you're actually going to make yourself more vulnerable to being wronged. You have to trust God, that He will bring the outcomes to pass. He will punish those who have wronged you, or He will redeem them, save them. Bring them into relationship with Him. Meet people's needs, verse, verse 20. Says to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. This is the mess, this is one of the primary messages of scripture, by the way. You saw last week, the saints, when they're in need, feed them, give them something to drink. Jesus in his ministry over and over again says of the marginalized, when they're hungry, give them food. When they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And now for your enemies, too. When they're hungry, give them something to eat. When they're thirsty, give them something to drink, something to eat. And then what looks like finally we're like, oh, a little bit of retaliation right now. I can do this because in doing this, the. the, Coals of fire will be poured out on their head. Yes, that's what I want. I want that for my enemies, so I'll be kind to them so they can burn their heads, right? Like, Even that, translated properly, understood properly in its context, is a call, yes, to something difficult for your enemies, but for the sake of repentance. The idea almost literally would be burning pangs of shame poured out on their head that as they continue to mistreat you, they say, man, I have been an absolute jerk to this person and they have blessed me at every turn. I've treated this person like absolute crap and yet they have never retaliated. They've treated instead me with honor. They've shown the light on my good side instead of my bad side. And in that, they begin to feel the shame of having hurt and persecuted someone like you. And in that, God brings repentance, Lord willing, and faith in Jesus. And now your enemy becomes your brother or your sister in Christ, and you walk together in this life. And lastly, he says, make goodness your weapon of choice. Do not be overcome by evil, verse 21, but overcome evil with good. This topsy-turvy call to welcome others into your life is laced with landmines for bitterness, landmines for frustration, landmines for anger, for feelings of superiority, for feelings of being better than others. And if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, evil will overcome you. You know that if you're honest, right? Right? Even just take anger, for example, that that and I speak from experience, I can go from zero to 60 way faster than I can go from 60 to zero. Because once it takes root, once it overcomes me, once it engulfs me, right, it's really hard to slow it down. Just me being honest, evil has that way of overtaking us. Right. And then like a day later, you're like sitting there with your family, like I don't even like that knucklehead. I'm sorry. I repent. I don't even like who that person was. Right? Because you know, right? But in the moment, you're overcome. He says, do not be overcome by evil. When you start feeling rage or apathy or greed or superiority rise up inside you, you better get up and go do something good in a hurry. Right? Go feed somebody. Go pray for someone. Go honor someone. And that good will overcome the evil. That's the promise of God. So this is a topsy-turvy call to welcoming others. (laughs) That's what all of that is. What it looks like to welcome others is to live like that. That's convicting. That's difficult. That's hard. But this is the way. It's the way. Topsy-turvy. Enemies are blessed. The marginalized are befriended. Goodness is the weapon of choice. Power is surrendered. Vulnerability becomes strength. We reach for the towel instead of reaching for the crown. Quid pro quo loses to love every single time. The last become first. The master of all becomes servant to all. It's otherworldly. It's unnatural. And it's so easy to talk ourselves out of it. To go on with our lives and not make any changes, to not do anything different. One of the reasons we talk our way out of it is because it's so difficult, but that's why I close with the good news. The good news is Jesus. We started with the good news. We finished with the good news. It's it's Jesus. Most of what Paul tells us here, he, he took directly from Jesus. Jesus taught us to welcome others great sacrifice but he didn't just teach it he also lived it this is second peter chapter 2 verse 21 for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered he did this he suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth he was the least deserving of bad treatment but when he was reviled, verse 23, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He left the outcomes up to God. And because he was leaving the outcomes up to God, the Father, he could pour himself out in selfless, risky, dangerous, vulnerable, welcoming of others into his life. Jesus walked this way perfectly, but even more important is this. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. This is good news today for the saints. Jesus is not just the exemplifier of welcoming others. He is the justifier of people who fail to welcome others. Right? Even if we were good at it, at welcoming others, It still couldn't save us. That's the message. You get real good at welcoming others. That's not going to save you. Jesus is the only one who can save you. And Jesus has saved you if you're a child of God through His finished work on the cross. And so even when you fail, when I fail to welcome others, we're still welcomed into the presence of God. We're still known by Jesus. There's still grace. There's still peace. There's still uh, everything that belongs to the children of God is yours. You're not doomed because in Jesus, sinners become winners. Even the children of God who still sin, we still win. Not because of our own work, but because of Jesus' work. And it's not just our past that's impacted. It's our future as well. We're able to live to righteousness through the power of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You get that, right? Like you're welcomed into the presence of God because although you are a sinner, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin separates me from God, you from God. Jesus bore the weight of your sin to the cross. All the wrath of God against sin poured out upon him. And he died, was buried raised from the dead and the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved and so if that's you you're a child of God you're in and he will never cast you out you've been welcomed by Jesus and now he empowers you to live for righteousness but it's not just good news for the saints that's good news for the for the people who ain't saints and that's you today for hear the story this is my story for you were strained like sheep I was strained like a sheep but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of my soul. Be welcomed today, if you're not a Christian, into the presence of God. Return to the shepherd. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you have any questions about what that looks like, I'd love to answer them. But here's my final thought for the saints. Uh, If you really want to have your world rocked, this book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosario Butterfield. Put your... Hat, hard-hat on. Her name might be not be intimidating, but the content of this book is 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 tough. She she drives hard at radical hospitality and she says radically ordinary hospitality is this. Using your it's, it's using your Christian home, your your relationships in this day-to-day life in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbor's family of God, it brings glory to God and serves others and lives out the gospel in word and deed. My wife bought this sign. It sits next to our dining room table, and it's convicting to me. It's not a testimony of our lives. It's a call for our lives that we're seeking to live by more. If you have more than you need, don't build a taller fence. Build a longer table. So my call to us today is stop building fences, start building longer tables. Is your schedule a fence that keeps you from welcoming others into your life, right? People on the margins, people who are saints, people who are sinners, people who are your enemies even, are you unable to welcome them because you've built your schedules now a fence? Are your possessions a fence? Your stuff's so precious to you, right? Or the stuff you want is so precious to you that you can't, you can't make room So welcome others. Are your priorities a fence? Is your lifestyle, your idea of how life is supposed to be, is that a fence? Right? I'll tell you one fence, only welcoming the cool and the comfortable, that's a fence, right? From actually living hospitably. So instead of building fences, let's build longer tables. In this church alone, I just was thinking some of the examples here. God's faithfulness. In this church, we have, Examples of neighbor love, right, of of people reaching out to their neighbors, inviting them into the homes, meeting their needs. Dozens of those types of stories. We have people who radically open their homes for foster care. Like their families forever altered by their hospitality. Uh, We have someone who on Memorial Day went down to the alleyways and Huntington and fed people hot dogs out of the back of his truck. Uh, people who have housed immigrants in their homes. People who have offered up child care to those in need. We have shared house keys in this room today. Right, like live, living, and it's unique to each person, right? Like your call might not be foster care, right? I mean, that's a big commitment. But what is what is your call, Have you asked? God to reveal that to you. This is about being a faithful steward, not being Martha Stewart. Hear me say that? This isn't a call to be like Martha Stewart. It's a call to be a faithful steward of what God's given you, to welcome others into your life and bless them. It's budgeting for hospitality. It's opening your home to both the prodigal son and the son who was still stayed at home, the older brother. Remember the story, right? One's a self-righteous jerk, the older brother, and the other's like a deeply sinful guy who just, right? Both welcome to your table. This is face to face, not Facebook. It's seeking out lonely people. It's serving the elderly. Uh, we just started watching The Chosen. About time we got on the train. We just started watching The Chosen. There's this scene, Mary Magdalene. Her story is unreal. I've always loved it. Saved from multiple demons. I mean, just prostitute living way. It's her first Shabbat, Sabbath meal, after Jesus has redeemed her. and She's going to host it. And she has no idea what she's doing. And yet people keep coming to the door. Random people sit at her table. She does the Sabbath prayer. She has the meal Prepared and it's beautiful as she fumbles over what it looks like to welcome hospitably strangers and loved ones into her life. And then who shows up at the door? Jesus. You practice radical, risky hospitality, Jesus will show up. I promise you that. Visiting the imprisoned, having conversations that bore you. These are all things that are hospitality. <laughs> Loving the single mom, loving the soccer mom, loving the rich and the poor, the successful and the marginalized, the famous and the forgotten, the cleaned up, the cast off, anyone, everyone. You get the point. We are welcomed into the presence of God because of Jesus. And this is both the example and the empowerment of our call to welcome anyone and everyone into our presence. So might we stop building fences and start building longer tables? That's what it looks like for the people of God. Be unique to each one of you. None of those stories are told or were told to make you feel guilt. Oh, I've got to do foster care. I'm not a good Christian. That's not the point. But you are responsible. Out of the outflow of Jesus welcoming you to say, what does it look like for me? my address, my circle of influence, my people to welcome others into my life. People who you enjoy being with and people you don't enjoy being with. Father, thank you so much that you welcomed us. That's what this all rides on. I mean, might we know it in our hearts. Before we get busy trying to welcome others, might we get busy Remembering and and rejoicing in the reality that you've welcomed us. As we celebrate communion, we're gonna remember that. As you've welcomed us and your presence at great cost. Right, we rejoice in that together. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.